Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's up, automotive world? This is the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I will be your host today. Uh, Today on the show, I was actually going to do a tech tip on this one, but once I got writing down my notes, I quickly realized that there was quite a bit more to this uh, than just a quick tech tip. So it's going to be a little bit longer and heck, maybe I'll just make it into a full episode. But anyways, uh, what I'm going to be talking about today is a pretty unique, maybe I shouldn't say unique, not unique, a very specific problem. Uh, so a, something that breaks in a very specific way on a specific engine or vehicle and uh, ways to diagnose it. Because I've seen this several times over the last year or so. And each time that I've seen it, it has kind of thrown technicians for a loop, uh, meaning that it is difficult to, to get to the pinpointed, okay, this is what's wrong with this vehicle. And I see a lot of parts replaced unnecessarily in attempts to get to the solution of this problem. Um, And many of you may be familiar with this. Some of you might not, um, but I'm going to give you a number of ways that through testing methods, uh, we can determine for sure what's going on with this engine before we actually take anything apart or replace any components, which of course is our goal most of the time. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'll set you up with what the problem is and the vehicle or the engine, I should say. And we'll, we'll know going into this what is actually wrong. And then I'm going to present to you Number one, how it happens and the symptoms that it's going to produce and the tests that will help and the tests that won't necessarily help that might lead you astray here. Um, But again, just how to get to the solution on this one as quick as possible and accurately as possible. So here's the vehicle slash engine. It is a Ford truck or this could be in a van as well. Um, But this is the infamous 5.4 liter Triton engine. Okay. So it's a three valve, two intake valves, one exhaust valve, 5.4 liter. This is the one where the spark plugs break (laughs) when you go to take them out. Uh, I actually like those because man, they made me a lot of flat rate money because I charge an extra half hour per plug <laughs> and just use the special tool to extract them. But that's not really what we're talking about today. Uh, many of you are very familiar with these engines. Um, and it, maybe I should put a disclaimer here for those of you who are not. Um, these engines had a lot of problems beyond what I'm talking about today. Um, they had some oiling issues, some oil pressure issues. And I would say we're not going to get into all the details of a 5.4 liter today. Maybe that's a whole nother podcast. And I don't know that it's really necessary because these are older vehicles. And I should give you the year range. You know, they've been using the 5.4 for a while. The ones where we really seem to see the issues, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 2004 up to somewhere in the neighborhood around 2010. Now, they're 
Could be some variance there in the years, but most of the ones I see are in Ford pickup trucks, F-150s, and Ford vans in that year range. And I see quite a few of those around where I live. There's lots of Ford vehicles, Ford trucks out on the road, and lots of them in the shops with these five four-liter Tritons. But keep in mind, if you are going into a diagnosis on one of these engines, they can have lots of problems, especially a high mileage truck. And you want to go through all of the checks before you or the customer commits to big money on fixing one of these, because you can fix everything I talk about today and still have a major oil pressure issue and scoring on the internal components of this engine where it doesn't make any sense. But uh, you can do your research uh, elsewhere, as far as what you need to do, just again, kind of a precaution that, hey, these, these engines are kind of junk. Um, but let's assume that all that's good on one of these engines, which might be hard to do, but for discussion's sake, let's just assume that everything's good on one of these. On top of that, they have another issue that I've seen again a few times over the last year or so. And you have maybe have seen this as well, but again, when he comes into a shop, I've seen this kind of uh, hold text up and they're not able to identify what's going on with the engine in these five fours. So here's what the actual problem is. Again, I'm going to set this up first and then we're going to kind of work our way from there. These engines use a single overhead camshaft style, which is driven by a camshafts phaser sprocket obviously driven by the chain so we have motion from the crankshaft go up to the camshaft rotate the camshaft and that single camshaft on the top of each cylinder head operates both the intake and the exhaust valves and we have three valves per cylinder uh, we have two intake valves and one exhaust valve now the medium between the camshaft and the actual valve is a rocker roller or a uh, rocker follower. Some people will call these. And really all this is is a rocker arm with a uh, roller in the middle of it that has needle bearings inside of it. And the roller actually makes contact with the camshaft lobe. As it comes around, the camshaft lobe will push on this roller, which is in the center of the rocker. And one end of this uh, this rocker is held in position by a hydraulic lifter, which fits into a bore in the cylinder head. The other side of this rocker rests on the top of the valve. So we have the camshaft come around and it pushes on this roller the lifter holds it in position on one side and allows it to pivot and push down on the valve, opening the valve when the lobe comes down. And that's how it's set up on all the valves on this engine. Well, what ends up happening is the needle bearings inside of these rollers actually end up seizing. And when that happens, it is going to, number one, cause some damage to the camshaft lobe. Uh, so a lot of cases when we come to this uh, point we're replacing the camshaft here because there'll be some pretty heavy scoring on the camshaft lobe itself obviously the rocker is going to have to be replaced uh, now initially this is going to make a heck of a racket 
and I've, I've, I've seen it where they come in before it completely breaks and it's making a very loud ticking noise. And sometimes you can get some pitting on those roller surfaces and that's enough to uh, also wear down the camshaft surface. Um, the ones where it goes beyond that point, uh, these are the ones I'm talking about. So what actually happens is this roller itself seizes up. Those little needle bearings have had enough. They stop rotating. And all of a sudden, you've got a, a roller that doesn't roll anymore pushed up against this cam lobe. And again, it's going to damage that cam lobe pretty severely, pretty severe scoring. Um, but what happens is, is as the camshaft comes around in its rotation, as it's moving, it actually will force this roller out of position because it's kind of just wedged in place by the camshaft. The camshaft sits over the top of it. The camshaft's held down by bearing caps, and it kind of just, the, the between the valve spring pressure, the lifter, and the camshaft kind of just wedges this uh, roller in place, allows it to pivot, but it can't escape, essentially. There's nothing else holding it in place. It's not bolted down or anything. But when this little roller seizes up, the camshaft lobe comes around, and it will actually force this roller out of place. And... A few things happen here and things you do need to be aware of is these roller, these rockers will actually fall out of place, um, damage the camshaft lobe. Um, you can actually damage the lifter. A lot of times the little hydraulic lifters damage. You can actually damage the cylinder head as well. And in that case, I mean, the, the engine's probably going to be replaced, if not just the cylinder head. Um, it, I think it really depends on the engine speed and when this actually happens. Um, you can actually create a scenario where when this happens, when this rocker gets kicked out, it can actually cause the keepers from the valve that it was operating to fall out of place. I've seen it where one comes out. I've watched a video where both came out. If both come out, well, you're done because that valve's dropping down into the combustion chamber and you, you don't have any hope at that point. But I've seen it where it will only lose one keeper. The valve stays connected to the spring, uh, but you still have this rocker fallout. So there can be some pretty severe damage to this. And I want you to be aware of that because this can be a pretty big bill leading all the way up to engine replacement. Sometimes not, but sometimes it can. But um, there's a couple other things that happen. Obviously, the uh, valve that that rocker operated is no longer going to move. Okay. Now, for whatever reason, the last three or four times I've run into this, it's been an intake valve. I can't say that's always true. Um, it would actually act differently than the scenario I'm going to give you if it was an exhaust valve. Uh, the reason being is there's two intake valves and one exhaust valve. Let's say the ro exhaust rocker happened to seize up and fall out. You'd have no exhaust valve opening and the cylinder that that happened on would not fire at all. You'd have a constant misfire on that cylinder along with a few other things, but you'd have a constant misfire. Um, the ones that I have seen this happen on, it's been an intake valve and it's been one intake valve on one cylinder, that cylinder actually continues to function at least somewhat, at least at an idle or a low load situation, it will still fire um, because you have another intake valve that's operating on that cylinder. So anyways, um, that's, our, that's our scenario again, is this rocker has seized up 
damage to the camshaft, actually gotten like forced out of position, and it's now sitting, you know, underneath the valve cover on top of the cylinder head. There's one other thing that happens, and this is where uh, it causes some problems that are maybe tougher to identify. And as that rocker is being forced out of position, as that camshaft's coming around and kicking this thing out of here, this rocker is either getting wedged against the camshaft or it is just the force of the camshaft uh, that it takes to kick this little rocker out of place actually causes the pin on the back side of the camshaft sprocket to break loose from where it's in the phaser and shift position. And it can actually elongate the hole in the camshaft. So let me explain this just a little better. The camshaft is bolted to the sprocket, which is connected to the timing chain. Okay. And there is a locating pin on the back side of this sprocket that fits into a groove on the front of the camshaft. That way, when you bolt the camshaft to the sprocket, it can only be in one position, meaning that the camshaft is automatically timed to the sprocket so that when you line up the sprocket in the proper position on the chain, everything's in time. Um, and, and I mean, it makes sense. You've seen camshafts set up this way before. Some aren't keyed, but this one is keyed with a little pin. But the force of this rocker coming around actually causes this pin to not completely shear, at least not the ones I've seen, but it causes the metal that holds that pin in place to crack. And I've seen it where it actually elongates the hole in the camshaft just a little bit. This is a pretty severe force to this thing as that camshaft comes around and spits out the rocker actually causes some pretty significant damage here. What that leaves us with is a camshaft that has now rotated several degrees in relationship to the camshaft sprocket or the phaser, if you will. And meaning it is rotated or come out of synchronization with its normal place with the timing chain and the crankshaft. So essentially you have one camshaft on one side of the engine, this is a V8 engine, that is now out of time. The valve events are not going to happen at the proper time, but the sprocket itself is still in time with the crank. Okay, so again, there's a timing chain that comes up from the crankshaft, uh, you know, behind the timing cover, comes up to each bank, and the chain itself still in time with the sprocket, but the camshaft has shifted. And we have a rocker that's laying underneath the valve cover, and we have a valve that is not operating on one cylinder. Okay, so there's our problem. I'll set that up for you there. We know what's wrong with this thing. And maybe you don't going in, but it will help you understand what we're talking about as we go through how to diagnose this. So here are the symptoms that the customer is going to notice. So the person who drives the vehicle, this is usually what they'll say. They'll say, I have a check engine light on. Of course, there's a lot of possibilities for that. And we'll get to the codes that will most likely be there. Um, they're also going to say that it has pretty low power or it's sluggish, especially on acceleration. Or, you know, these are pickup trucks. If I'm towing things, it's going to have no power. Um, it's not going to be able to accelerate up hills properly. Um, anything that requires the vehicle to really 
accelerate under a load, it's going to be very sluggish. Um, seems to idle relatively okay, maybe a little bit of a shake, but it's really that acceleration where there seems to be no power. Okay. So again, lots of possibilities for that to happen on these vehicles, but we'll go a little deeper. Of course, we're going to do our diagnosis. So that's what the customer would notice. What we're going to see as technicians is going to be misfires on three cylinders. And this would be at an idle or a low load situation. But if we look at the power balance test in Fords, and if you use the IDS, you probably are familiar with the power balance. If you use Launch or Autel, uh, these also have the power balance graphic. Um, you'll notice that three cylinders on one bank of the engine, okay, so you have bank one and bank two, Three cylinders seem to be misfiring pretty consistently, and they're all on one side. And the other bank does not seem to be misfiring. Now, if you go drive this thing under a load, things might change a little bit, but uh, my diagnosis for these generally doesn't require that. I can usually get to the answer here at you know in the bay, in a parking lot, without the vehicle actually moving. Um, the other thing that you're going to notice in there is probably some misfire codes, again, pertaining to the cylinders that are misfiring on the power balance. Uh, you may just have a P0300. Um, you might have some f fuel trim codes. Um, so these could be either lean or rich, and we'll get to why that is, but there may be some fuel trim codes. So with just that information, um, there's there's a lot of different directions that we could go with that. I mean, if you look at the spark plug setup on these things, um, obviously those could be causing misfires and even some fuel trim uh, that aren't quite in line. Of course, we, we always want to look, <laughs> is it the chicken or the egg? Is the misfire? fire causing a fuel trim to be off or is the fuel trim causing the misfire um this is the point where technicians this is really all they have with this thing you know low power seems like three different misfires okay what do i go after a lot of times you know people do go after ignition on these fords with good reason the coils are pretty prone to failure the spark plugs have all of their own issues um, i've seen catalytic converters replaced for this problem here uh, mass airflow sensors um, even fuel injectors swapped around um, but none of that's going to cure this so what I want to give you is how to actually identify this problem accurately uh, through some tests. I'm even going to tell you how you can identify which cylinder had a rocker fall out. And I should note again, this is if an intake rocker falls out. The symptoms will be a little bit different if an exhaust rocker falls out. But for whatever reason, it always seems to be an intake rocker that comes out for me. I don't know if that's just the odds have ended up that way for me uh, or what that is but uh, this would be in the case where an intake rocker has fallen out of one cylinder on one bank um, just remember that one of these tests alone isn't necessarily going to confirm it but when we have all of these tests uh, together uh, they come together and they allow us to make a confident call you know we have multiple arrows in the target first thing i'm going to go over actually some tests that aren't necessarily going to help you directly but they are going to lead me towards the direction we're going so i mentioned that the camshaft was out of time 
So the first thing most technicians think of if a camshaft is out of time is that we're going to have some sort of timing code in the PCM, a P00, 10, 16, whatever it might be for a particular application. We would expect to see that the computers recognize that this engine's out of time because the engine computer watches the camshaft position in relation to the crankshaft position. And even if we're off by a tooth on a chain or a belt, we would expect to see a timing code set. Well, you will not find it in this specific problem. And the reason being for that is that the the tone wheel that actually measures camshaft position on these engines is not on the camshaft itself. Okay, So I mentioned that the camshaft has rotated in relation to the camshaft sprocket or the phaser because this does have variable valve timing. So the sprocket has the ability to shift the camshaft when it wants. But the tone wheel that the computer uses to measure camshaft position is on the phaser itself, is on the front of this sprocket. If you look, the camshaft sensor actually goes in the front of the timing cover. So what that means is the camshaft shifts position so the lobes are not opening the valves at the correct time. It's actually retarded in its position a little bit. But the sprocket and the tone wheel have remained in sync with the timing chain and with the crankshaft. So all the computer can do is look at its sensors and report the information that it sees from those sensors. And so as far as the computer is concerned, the engine is in time. Nothing has moved, even though the camshaft has actually shifted. And that was just how they designed these engines. They didn't put the tone wheel. If the tone wheel was on the back of the camshaft on this one, or even halfway in, there'd be a timing code immediately, and we'd kind of be done with this. But that's where... uh, techs will kind of be led astray is because we don't have any timing codes here. The engine thinks that the timing is is right on. If we look at a data PID, there is a VCT, a variable cam timing data PID, which says VCT error. What that means is, is the computer wants the camshaft here, and because it can phase the camshaft, it can operate the phaser with a solenoid and oil pressure, It can actually rotate the camshaft. It's usually going to be under a load on these vehicles. And it expects the camshaft to move a certain amount of degrees. And if the camshaft doesn't move, however many degrees the computer expects, it's going to maybe set a code, but it's going to show you in a live data PID the error, the difference between desired and actual. And this data PID in this problem, even though the cam timing is off, will show zero or very close to zero. You might see, you know, a little bit of a jump here and there, but that's normal on any engine because once again, when the computer goes to phase this thing, when it goes to actually move this phaser, the phaser is going to move like expected. The camshaft's actually moving as well. And the tone wheel will reflect the correct amount of movement uh, in reference to, you know, phaser movement, camshaft movement, because that tone wheel's on the front of that sprocket once again. So your data PID is going to show everything's good. VVT system is working the way it's supposed to. The solenoids are kicking in, the phaser's moving the cam, but once again, the camshaft is still out of time. We just can't see this with our sensor data. If you're to do a cam crank correlation with a scope, which means we look at the camshaft position and we look at the crankshaft position, 
they're perfectly in sync. Same thing the computer's seeing, but we would be looking at it on a scope and we would be matching it up to a known good. And in doing that, we'd find, okay, everything's in time. This engine is not out of time based on everything that we're seeing. But again, we know that it is on one side of the engine. So those are all the tests that really aren't going to necessarily help you. I say that though, but I'll still look at this stuff because if I'm aware of this problem and I see that all of this stuff looks good, now I, now I have a stepping stone. Even though these tests didn't confirm a problem, they're showing me what is actually right on the engine. Now again, the camshaft is out, but if we understand the construction of the engine, we know that the phaser is in time in relation to the crankshaft. And that's really all we can say by that is where that camshaft sensor reads the tone wheel. That is correct. That is in time. But because of the construction and how they set this up, we can still have a camshaft that's out of time and the computer and our scope will never see it based on those tests. So here's what you do want to look at. And here's are the arrows in the target that will actually point to what's going on with this engine. First thing right off the bat, you are going to notice that the fuel trims long-term is really the one I generally look at, but I usually use long-term and short-term. The fuel trims are going to oppose one another, meaning that Whatever bank, let's just say bank one is our culprit. That's the one where the misfires are and the camshaft is has shifted. One bank is going to have rich or negative fuel trims. Bank two, the bank that is not out of time, is going to have positive fuel trims, a reflecting a lean condition. So you're going to have a rich condition on one side of the engine, and you're going to have a lean condition on the other side of the engine, as reported by the oxygen sensors. And that's what fuel trims are. You know, they're a reflection of what's happening on the exhaust side of the combustion chamber. The O2s are reporting back, and the PCM is trimming. It is changing the fuel map based on what the O2s are seeing. And the O2s are saying, hey, you've got a rich condition over here, and you've got a lean condition over here. Uh, now, there are several possibilities for why this can happen. Uh, you know, I don't know that you could do it on this engine, but some engines you can plug O2 sensors in to the wrong spot. So you have bank ones plugged into bank two's connector and vice versa. Uh, Scanner Danner just had a video on that on a Nissan. Um, that, so this test alone, and again, a lot of these tests by themselves won't confirm exactly what you have going on. And I should note if you if you put the truck in gear and actually power brake it, that will exasperate those fuel trim numbers even more. You'll see one go really negative and one go really lean. So something that you can try there just to see, but you will have opposing fuel trims. And you are also going to and I'll explain why you have that in a moment, but you're also going to have a barometric pressure reading that is lower than what you would expect. Okay. In Fords and the data pids, you're going to see a couple different things depending on the year and your scan tool. Uh, you will see a pressure number and that's easy enough to compare. Find out what your barometric pressure is in your area because that's going to depend on elevation and it should be pretty darn close. 
Okay. Uh, around where I live, I'm roughly a thousand feet above sea level, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, I would expect my barometric pressure reading to be uh, 14.3 or so, uh, depending on the weather and all that. But I can always just Google it and figure out what it should be. That number should be pretty close. Okay. You're also going to see hertz as a data PID. And those hertz are going to reflect a barometric pressure reading. And again, in my area, I expect those Fords to be around 152 hertz. You will find these numbers be much lower. Uh, for the hertz, I see them down in the 140s when it has this problem. And I see the barometric pressure down somewhere around 12 or 13 PSI, which, you know, we can obviously prove that that's not the case. Now, again, that alone that could just be a mass airflow sensor. Uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be a camshaft timing issue. But uh, again, we're getting more than one arrow on the target here. But let me explain why that, that number's off and we have opposing fuel trims. And it does have to do with the mass airflow sensor and understanding how a mass airflow sensor system works. And I have an episode on that if you're more interested to know uh, what's going on with a mass airflow versus speed density. But I'll give you a quick rundown here. The engine is going to use a mass airflow sensor to measure the incoming air going into the engine. And then it's going to add the correct amount of fuel based on that air and other inputs, obviously, but we're just focusing on our math for right now. But the math sees all of the air going into the engine. And once the air is in the engine, the math has no idea what happens to it. And so it's going to come up with a number. And let's just make this math really easy because I like it when things are easy. Let's say eight grams of air are going into an engine, okay? And so this is a V8 engine, meaning that the math would assume, and it should, on a normal running engine that each cylinder will get one gram of air. And you could break that down and say each bank, because it's a V-style bank, each bank will receive four grams of air, okay? And then it adds the proper amount of fuel. It says, okay, four grams of air, you get this much fuel based on the air-fuel ratio desired at that given time. Well, here's what's happened in this engine. We have a camshaft that's out of time on one bank. So our valve operation is not happening at the correct time. We're actually retarded on both the exhaust and the intake valve operation. So that bank is actually not going to be moving as much air through it as it normally would. Well, the other side of the engine is moving the proper amount of air. So let's look at what's going on with our broken engine, okay? So on our good side, on the good bank two, the camshaft is in time, that side of the engine is still getting four grams of air because that's how much air should be moving through there. On our broken side, on our camshaft that has shifted, let's say we're only getting three grams of air through there because the valve timing is not happening when it should. So now we have a total of seven grams of air going through that engine. And so the computer is going to say, okay, well, seven grams of air here, you get this much fuel. And it's going to divide that seven grams worth fuel equally between the two sides. Again, because that's how the engine should work. And so what's going to happen is the good side that's getting four grams of air is going to get fuel that should be for three and a half grams. 
So essentially, it's not going to get enough fuel. The side that's not breathing correctly, that's not moving as much air through, that's only moving three grams through that side of the engine, is going to get fuel for three and a half grams. And so that's going to be too much fuel for the air that is actually moving through it. Because again, the math can only see the total. It doesn't know how much each cylinder is ingesting. And so what ends up happening there is you have too much fuel delivered to one side of the engine and not enough to the good side of the engine. So your rich bank in this particular application is going to be the broken side of the engine with your opposing fuel trims. And hopefully that explanation kind of helped out why. As far as the barometric reading goes, uh, because the engine overall is not moving the proper volume of air through, uh, the barometric reading is actually taken off of the uh, mass airflow sensor um, under a open throttle condition and it's going to report a poor number. And so that barometric pressure reading can be off. Again, that number can just be reflect a, a bad mass airflow sensor, but it's going to be one of our pieces of data here. All right. So next thing that we've probably already looked at by this point, but I want to make a point here. If we go back to our misfires, again, all the misfires are on one side of the engine. This is idle, low load situation, except for one. Okay, and that might be where you say, well, this is weird. I have an entire bank that's out of time. How come I only have one cylinder that's not misfiring? What's the deal? Shouldn't they all be misfiring on this side of the engine? Well, this is your cylinder where the intake roller fell out. Again, if this was an exhaust one that fell out, you only got one exhaust valve on each cylinder. That one is definitely going to be missing. Uh, you might even th hear some popping through the intake and stuff like that. But uh, the ones that I've encountered, it's been an intake. Uh, rocker and there's still another intake valve operating on that cylinder and it's not misfiring at least at an idle or a low load condition under a heavy load that might change but that's where i think it kind of throws techs off because they don't have timing codes and they only have three cylinders missing not four so why would i go after timing well i have a i have a theory here and i don't know if it's right. Honestly, maybe somebody can correct me if they think differently or they have a different way to think about this. But here, here's my process. Here's what I was thinking. Because I asked myself this because I've seen it each time where the cylinder, and I know this after I disassemble it, but the cylinder with the rocker that fell out is not missing. And you'd expect that one to definitely be the one that's missing. It's out of time and it's missing an intake valve operation. What's going on here? Well, my theory is the camshaft is now retarded, which means the valve operation for both the exhaust and the intake happen at a later time than they're supposed to because of the camshaft shift. Well, this creates a number of problems. The exhaust valve is going to open later and close later than it should. The intake valve is going to open later. And here's the, here's my theory again. It's just a theory that the intake valve is going to close at a later point. And so as the, as the engine's running, what that equates to is when we are trying to build compression after our intake stroke, those intake valves on all the cylinders on that side of the engine are hanging open a little longer than normal, which means we're squeezing air out through the intake valves as opposed to compressing it, which equals low compression on those cylinders, except for the one that had the intake rocker fall out. Now, this cylinder 
only has one intake valve operating. And so even though it's retarded in its timing, we're not able to push out as much air because of that late intake valve operation because you've got one intake valve that is completely closed. And so it actually builds good compression on this in, on this cylinder that has a rocker that fell out, which ends up at least at an idle or a low load condition, allowing that cylinder to still operate the way it should. But the other three have dual valve action and they push out too much air on that uh, compression stroke before those valves actually close and it causes a misfire on those three cylinders. Now, again, uh, that is just me trying to rationalize this. Um, I could be off there. I could be wrong. I'm not 100%. But here's what kind of supports my theory if you were to measure compression. And that's my next test. This is the next thing you want to do on this vehicle is do a relative compression test. You could do a gauge too if you choose, but relative compression is uh, significantly easier, especially on this engine where you can break spark plugs <laughs> pulling them out. Um, it is going to show you low compression on three of those cylinders and normal compression on five others. Uh, the fifth one being that odd man out on the broken side that doesn't seem to be misfiring, that has the intake rocker that fell out. It'll actually have decent compression. Okay. And that kind of supports my theory a little bit that the valve that is stuck, that is not moving, is allowing it to build somewhat normal compression at idle or cranking or low load conditions. Obviously at a high RPM, not having an intake valve opening on, on this three valve setup is going to cause you an issue. But again, I'm doing most of this testing in the bay, but you will find low compression on three cylinders, uh, but not that fourth one on that bank. So this is all again, pointing us towards what's going on. Uh, we can also look at our vacuum level in the intake manifold, or we're going to find our vacuum level to be pretty low. Uh, now, these Fords don't have a MAP sensor, manifold absolute pressure, uh, so there's no data pit for this. Otherwise, I'd just look on the scan tool. Um, but uh, with a vacuum gauge, we can also see that that number's low. And so we're seeing low compression. We're seeing a vacuum gauge issue. We've got these opposing fuel trims. We've got misfires on three cylinders, but not another one. Uh, this is all pointing us towards our problem, that there is definitely a mechanical timing problem with this engine. Now, this might be enough here to say, okay, let's at least pop this valve cover and see what's going on. Um, but I do have one more test. If you choose to do this, um, this is the nail in the coffin. This will say 100%. And heck, I guess you could do this first, but on these engines, I choose not to because I'm doing mobile technician stuff and I don't want to break a spark plug and have to deal with that. Um, that's just my preference. But if you have an in-cylinder pressure transducer, which I know a lot of people are getting into that and this is a time where this can really be the ultimate proving factor. The the one that's going to get you there is using your in-cylinder pressure tester here. So what you're going to do is you're going to put that in-cylinder pressure tester in. And it doesn't really matter the cylinder that you do it on, but that it's on the broken side of the engine or the side that you're having troubles with. And you are going to see it. It's actually going to look, well, somewhat normal unless you really pay attention to some detail. But you're going to save that waveform. So you get a, I would prefer running uh, compression on a cylinder on the broken side of the engine. And then you're going to put it over on the good side of the engine, the, 
the side that's running lean, the side that doesn't have misfires, and you're going to compare the two. And what you will notice is particularly in the exhaust plateau, uh, you're going to see this moved over to the right or retarded in relation to the other side. And I'll see if I can put some waveforms up in the Facebook group and the website to show you what I mean. But it doesn't take a whole lot of skill using these waveforms to compare the two and see that the exhaust plateau is basically shifted to the right um, I, so many degrees. I think I measured 10, 15 degrees uh, something like that. Um, it, it's a significant amount when you compare it to the good side of the engine. If you're just looking at the broken side, you might not be able to say for sure, again, unless you really pay attention to detail. But if you compare it to the good side of the engine, or you just have a known good s- saved for that particular engine, you can say right away, okay, this cam timing has shifted. It is retarded. I know for sure that I have a timing issue here. And that is enough for me to pull the valve cover off or tell the shop to pull the valve cover off. And as soon as you pull it off, you'll see the rocker that's laying down on top of the cylinder head. You will see the camshaft lobe that is scored up, maybe some lifter damage, maybe some valve damage, maybe cylinder head damage. You won't necessarily see the broken phaser pin because you have to take the camshaft off to do this. But you know that that camshaft is not in time based on the test that you've done. Uh, You have all those arrows in the target. And even if you don't have a WPS, you can get pretty close to a, a, a really, really confident solution here, even without pulling the valve cover. But once you do, you know for sure what's going on. And of course, the fix will depend on the actual application. Oh, and one more thing on the WPS that you can confirm is that there's not a converter that's restricted. And that's why this is another, I think, important part of this is you could have a converter that's plugged up. But if you look at the exhaust plateau on the broken side of the engine, of course, it's shifted over, but it is going to show that you don't have excessive back pressure in this engine. The cat is not plugged, causing misfires on one side of the engine because it could be, you know, I've definitely seen converters plugged on these engines. But uh, again, just consider, you know, before you go into actually fixing, you know, putting a camshaft and a phaser and all this, uh, that there could be other issues with these engines. Uh, check your oil pressure, do some, uh, do some research on what to check five fours for. Pull a cam cap and look for some scoring. Uh, look at your timing chain uh, because there is a number of issues that these engines experience on top of what I've talked about here. And they need high volume oil pumps and timing chain tensioners and guides and sometimes an engine. But (laughs) this is um, hopefully going to be helpful for you in case you run into this specific instance on one of these 5.4 Triton engines. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope you learned something from that. Um, That's all I've got for you today. So Let's all get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.